Welcome to IFL Science The Big Questions, the podcast where we invite the experts to explore the biggest mysteries of science with your host, Dr. Alfredo Carpinetti. Since the dawn of our species, humans have been using chemicals to alter our state of mind. Drugs and alcohol have been used in rituals and in medication for inspiration and escapism, as well as a way to cope with the happenings of the world. Only in the more recent decades have we begun to appreciate the physiological effects that these substances have on our brain through science. A discipline that continues to intrigue us with its mysteries and its potential to unlock new therapies that can help those who need it. We are joined by neuropsychopharmacologist, uh, Professor David Nutt. Uh, Professor Nutt, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Alfredo. It's a pleasure to be on with you. So the question that uh, we are talking today is uh, all about how drugs and alcohols affect the brain and what we knew. But before we started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I'm a psychiatrist, um, a psychopharmacologist. I treat patients with medicines, drugs, and I study how drugs work in the brain. And I use drugs to help me understand how the brain works. Fantastic. Uh, so let's start with the big question immediately. How do alcohol and drugs uh, affect our brain? Well, different drugs, including alcohol, work in different ways. So, for instance, alcohol works on a number of different neurotransmitters, chemical messengers in the brain, whereas other drugs work on different ones. So, for instance, cocaine works on dopamine, uh, psychedelics work on serotonin, opiates, heroin works on opiate systems, but alcohol works on pretty much everything. <laughs> is, uh, is that the reason why uh, they make us feel good at first? Uh, so there are a lot of, as you said, there are a lot of drugs uh, and uh, there are a lot of chemicals that uh, we enjoy. I don't know, I'm taking caffeine, for example, that they're not classed as traditional drugs. But is what is the mechanism that make us feel good, uh, uh, for example, uh, when drinking alcohol or taking other drugs? Yeah, well, that's a complicated question. It depends on what you mean by good. So I think that there are two main directions to we can discuss this. The first is, if you want to get high, then the drugs that get you high are drugs like cocaine, amphetamine, uh, alcohol to some extent. And they largely work through releasing dopamine. Dopamine gives you energy drive, can make you become you know, loud, chatty, overactive, etc. But if you're using drugs to deal with distress, and a lot of people do that, so drugs, particularly drugs like heroin, uh, and to some extent, lower doses of alcohol are used by people to dampen down distress. And, and, th and they work differently. So alcohol dampens down distress through the, the, the GABA system in the brain, the inhibitory system, whereas opiates dampen down distress by increasing the endorphin system, which is an anti-stress, anti-pain system in the brain. So, so different drugs work on different systems. And there's some very interesting work done recently showing that, in fact, where you take a drug has a big effect on, on, it, on whether you enjoy it or not. So, for instance, people usually take cocaine when they're out socializing. And if you take cocaine by yourself in front of the TV, it has not much effect. Whereas 
if you take it out in a party, you're, it has an effect because you're actually doing things useful with it. And the opposite is true of opiates. If you, Most people don't go to a party and take heroin because they just fall asleep in the corner. But they do take it at home where it kind of chills them out and, and kind of keeps them calm and deadens the pain of their lives. So the location and the environment has a big effect as well as the pharmacology of the drug. So there is not just a chemical, but the, also a psychological and social kind of effect? Absolutely. We call that set and setting. I mean, then that's, of course, extremely important for um, drugs like psychedelics where you know if you you need if you're going to take a psychedelic you need to be in a very safe secure environment you know where you're protected and so you you don't feel threatened or run the risk of being traumatized whereas um, you know other drugs uh, I mean to some extent alcohol is similar I mean one of the interesting discoveries with alcohol is that if you um, if you go into a pub expecting to drink alcohol and you're, you're given a non-alcoholic drink, but you think it's alcohol, you start to get a bit high. <laughs> Your brain can actually remember what it's like to drink alcohol and kind of reinitiate that state, even uh, even if you're not given alcohol. Fascinating. But also let's uh, discuss some of the um, negative consequences, uh, um, such as hangover and addictions. Uh, how do they present uh, themselves? So the general principle is you take a drug, you change your brain, the brain adapts. The brain doesn't like to be changed. The brain is a very sophisticated organ, like, like all other organs in the body. It likes to maintain equilibrium. So if you change it, it tries to reset itself. Uh, and that resetting process is a chemical process, and it offsets the effect of the drug. But when the drug is disappeared from your system, when it, you know, you've washed out the alcohol or, or the cocaine, then your brain is set in the opposite state. So whereas when alcohol was calming you, your brain turns on, noradrenaline to keep you awake when the alcohol disappears from your system and you've slept it off you've got too much noradrenaline so you have withdrawal you have shakes and you have anxiety with cocaine the opposite happens with cocaine you blast the dopamine system for hours and then the dopamine system gets depleted so the next day you feel knackered because you haven't got enough dopamine going so the effects of the drug lead to the consequences you are actually working on a safer alternative uh... Uh, to alcohol. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about that? Sir? Yes, what I've been trying to do is to pull together a team of people to help us find an a functional alternative to alcohol. I mean, I, I like alcohol. Um, most people like alcohol. Most people like alcohol because it relaxes them. And most people use alcohol in social situations where there's a little bit of anxiety. You go to a party, you feel a bit tense, you don't know people, you know, you're not quite sure what to do with your hands. So a drink is a way of calming yourself and in helping facilitate social engagement. Now, we think, well, in fact, we know we can, we can mimic that using herbs. We have a drink called Sentia, which is a herbal drink containing herbs which have particular components in them, which turn on the GABA system in the brain, which is the, the system in the brain which does reduce anxiety in social situations, which alcohol works like. And what we're also now trying to do is invent uh, an alternative temp molecule to alcohol that will only turn on the GABA system to a small enough extent to relax you and socialize you, but won't have all the other consequences. Because the thing about alcohol is the more you take, the more different systems it engages with as i've already mentioned you know alcohol at higher levels will start releasing dopamine but if you keep pushing the level of alcohol up it'll also block other systems and that's why people have blackouts and and terrible behavioral problems and also become addicted 
So if we just focus on the, the key elements of the desired effects of alcohol, which is sociability and, and conviviality and relaxation, uh, we can do that. We can invent molecules. We have done. And we're now getting ready to put them through safety testing so we could potentially sell them as an ingredient so that drinks companies can then make their own cocktails, which contain this alcohol alternative we call Alcarel. And so um, you just started testing. Can you tell us how, how far um, through this process is? Uh, um, you just started testing it uh, in uh, animals for safety or in humans yes. already? Well, we've obviously done some testing on, on ourselves mm -hmm. because we needed to find out if it works. And now yeah. we're, we're in the, <laughs> within the next few months, we're going to have the we've got currently we're looking at seven different molecules. Mm -hmm. And by the end of this year, we will have decided on which molecule to manufacture in large amounts because it takes a, it's very expensive to make new molecules and to make mm -hmm. enough to do safety. So we've got to be clear that we've got to put the best one through the safety testing. And that's what, uh, so by the end of the year, we'll have decided on our lead compound and then that testing will start next year. Uh, provided we raise money, we've still got to go out to investors. Fair enough. Uh, well, that's, that sounds fascinating that we could have uh, soon an alternative to alcohol that has uh, all the social benefits, uh, but none of the drawbacks. Well, certainly much less of the drawbacks. I can't say none, but, uh, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... Uh, It's, it would definitely be an advance, wouldn't it, if we could give... Because most people want to drink socially. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, we all know people. We all know people say, oh, I'll just come for a couple of drinks. And then after the second drink, they lose control because something in the alcohol changes their brain. And if we could stop that, you know, then we would, there'd be loads of people who don't binge and who go home at the right time and don't get, you know, into problems with their spouse at that because they've drunk more than they intended. So if we could just help people drink the way they want to drink. That would be a massive advance. That sounds great. Do you think there is a scope to, uh, after you do alcohol, to investigate in other type of uh, drugs, uh, something to can get uh, some of the interesting benefits, but with less uh, drawbacks? Well, that's absolutely one of the models we're, <laughs> we're working on is a model that's been around for a long time in the field of, of opiate treatment. So the way one of the ways we the, the pharmacological tricks we can use to minimize harm is to develop molecules which are called partial agonists. And, and that means they have a ceiling effect. When you take them and, and at a certain level of in, intake, they, the effect plateaus out, it reaches a ceiling. Now, one of the I got interested in this oh, 30 years ago. I started working with a partial agonist called buprenorphine. And buprenorphine is now widely used as an alternative to methadone for heroin treatment. Why? Because it doesn't matter how much buprenorphine you take, it will not stop you breathing. And that's the safety benefit of buprenorphine is well proven because it's a partial agonist. It was made for... So that concept is out there. I mean, there's another one, I mean, one very well-known, at least as a compound, although people don't know it's a partial agonist, is vireniclane as an alternative to smoking. Veraniclane is a safer way of taking nicotine. It's a partial agonist that works on the nicotine receptor that uh, allows you to stop smoking. It's an alternative to smoking. But, uh, and so you avoid all the problems of burning tobacco, etc. So, so this concept is well established in uh, other fields of pharmacology. Well, that is fascinating. 
thank you very much for taking the time and telling us uh, a little bit uh, about how uh, drugs and alcohol affect the brain and uh, how there might be soon alternatives uh, that can uh, deal with uh, some of the most negative aspects of uh, those. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alfredo. Thanks for listening to IFL Science The Big Questions. Head over to iflscience.com and don't forget to sign up to our newsletter so you don't miss out on the biggest stories each week. Until next time.